This is a podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. What a pleasure it is, and it's a rare pleasure, that we have a Talking Point guest in our studio this morning. And our Talking Point, well, might be an unusual one this morning, you might think. Uh, Because we're going to talk about the Spanish Inquisition. And you might think, hang on, I wasn't thinking that anyone was going to talk about the Spanish Inquisition. I don't understand what you're saying. One of the crossbeams has gone out askew on the treadle. <laughs> what on earth does that mean? I don't know. Mr Wentworth just told me to come in here and say that there's trouble at the mill, that's all. I didn't expect a kind of Spanish Inquisition. <laughs> Nobody expects the Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise are two weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency are three weapons. Our fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope are four. No. <laughs> Amongst our weapons are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. The Spanish Inquisition was a reign of terror that lasted for centuries in one of Europe's most important and influential nations, one that was famous for its culture and learning, but also for its empire and appalling treatment of indigenous peoples and the torture of its own people as well. These days it's more likely that people know about the Inquisition because of that famous Monty Python sketch, but believe me, there was nothing funny about the Spanish Inquisition. To talk about it this morning, our guest live in the studio is Geordie Vidal-Robert from Sydney University. And Geordie, you are welcome to the program. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for the invitation. You're a lecturer in economics. Yes, correct. What's a lecturer in economics doing being interested in the Spanish Inquisition? Normally, it's a historian. Well, in economics, we do many things. So, uh, and as, as you said, so I'm not an, a historian, but uh, one of the things in, that we try to disentangle in economics or that try to find out is uh, why some countries are richer than others or why some regions are richer than others and wh- what are the reasons that uh, for, for those disparities across the world and within each country as well, right? So one of the... One of the research that uh, people does is try to dis- uh, try to study why some institutions or historical events, uh, how those is- institutions or historical events have shaped the path of economic growth, and yeah. that's one. That's why at some point I was interested in the Spanish Inquisition. We'll talk about the history of the Inquisition in a moment, but let's jump to that thing that you are most interested in. You say that even now, 200 years after the Inquisition ended, or more than 200 years after the Inquisition ended, um, the locations where it mostly took place are poorer, they're more religious, less educated, less trusting even. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. Yep. So in our study, so we collected... Uh, the most extensive data set for of trials of the Inquisition. We have almost seventy thousand trials of the Inquisition. I mean, one of the seventy thousand. Yeah. So one of the good things about the Inquisition is that they were very good at keeping records of everything, and we have a good collection in the archives, and also in some of of some historians have collected uh, those trials with. Sp- specific information on the location where they were tried uh, or where they were born, uh, what, what they were accused of, and, and so on and so forth. So using all this information, we can track all, all, these, all these conclusions. And yeah, so we can track, you know, we can relate and, um, or we can create measures of intensity of the Inquisition uh, back then, over all the 300-year period of its existence. Uh, from 1478 until 1834, which is, was uh, its final abolition. And then we can track and we can relate that and, and, or measure its effects to today to, to, to either you know, economics uh, outcomes or even educational outcomes and trust outcomes. Yeah. And that makes sense only if you study properly the Inquisition, as historians do, um, but also if you test... Uh, uh, quantitatively, what we we do as well, why that might be the case, why 
would you expect or what you would see some impact of the Spanish Inquisition intensity on today's economic outcomes? And that's why we study the role of education and, and trust as well. So those areas of Spain that you say that the Inquisition mostly took place in, or at least that most notably perhaps, they're more religious than others. Was that because they were forced to be religious because of the Inquisition? Because I would have thought if they were more religious, the Inquisition wouldn't be interested in them because they were trying to force people to become Catholics. Yeah, so, so we what we find is that there is no particular relation between some pre-religion or pre-religiosity measures right. on, on those locations and the activity of the Inquisition. Uh, and also you would expect that maybe, you know, those regions that are more religious, they are more fanatics, and then they would support more the activity of yeah. the Inquisition. Uh, mm -hmm. We don't find that uh, either. So if so, we find that, uh, yeah, they do not have that much uh, intensity of the Inquisition as other regions. Oh. So what's the link then between the work the Inquisition did? As long ago as 300, 400 years ago, with the economic outcomes of those areas today. Why is that still an effect? Uh, so what we think and what we find first is that the Inquisition, uh, we have heard a lot of stories uh, of terror and so on, but, but that's precisely the whole point of the Inquisition. More, more than killing people, that we can talk about it, uh, how many yes. they really killed or not. Um, and I'm not here to you know, to do an apology of the Inquisition. No, of course. I but, don't think that's possible, <laughs> frankly. Um, but the, the the major objective was to spread the terror, right? So it's not yeah. just, uh, you know, that's why they did some public uh, trials and they show everyone, oh, these people have been accused and they've been found guilty. Of course, they wouldn't show the people that were that didn't, didn't yes, work. that they were found not guilty, exactly or, yeah. right. So, but it was a whole uh, show, public show, uh, you know, in the major squares in in different towns and so on. And then, and the whole point is that first, just to spread terror, and therefore you have to abide or to go with the with the values of the Inquisition and of the Crown, and and second. All these trials started with uh, secret denunciations, right? So yes. you didn't, you never knew who accused you of something, uh, and therefore, how can you trust your neighbor? How can you trust even your family to some extent? If you know, maybe some of them, you know, can go to the Inquisition and tell that you are maybe holding a book that may be related to Judaism, and then right. you can be tried. This ended 100 years before Franco arrived, and yet the same things were being repeated under Franco in Spain. Yeah, exactly. So that's another thing that we explore because uh, a possible issue is that, you know, this happens or the Inquisition finished in 1834, and we, we see the relation with current economic outcomes. But in the middle, we have the dictatorship, we yes. have Franco. Uh, we have other civil wars. Uh, we can track also the relation between the activity of the Inquisition uh, with uh, different sides of different civil wars uh, at right. the end of the 19th century uh, or even during the Spanish civil war before Franco. And what we observe is always the same pattern, right? So those regions and municipalities that were that experienced higher intensity of the Inquisition are linked to more to the side that relates more to the church, for instance, or right. more... Uh, well, they were anti-Franco? Who? The the areas that where there was more of the Inquisition? No, they, they... No. Okay. So what we observe is that they relate more to sides uh, that, that uh, supported the church uh, at the end of the 19th century. Yes. And during the Civil War, what we can see uh, is that in those sites or regions that experience higher intensity of the Inquisition, that we can observe more, uh, <laughs> more uh, you know, activity during the Civil War, okay. like more deaths during the Civil War. That's remarkable. It's not a coincidence. Do you think that there's definitely a link? 
is there a link? So we, I mean, for that specific case, we just observe some associations. We cannot say that it is right, a, okay. a, caus a causal relation, but yeah. but it gives you the the suggestion that what we observe from the end of the Inquisition to today's outcomes is coming comes on persistent uh, through different uh, events okay. across history in Spain. All right. Uh, Jordi Vidal-Robert, lecturer in economics at the University of Sydney, is our guest live in the studio this morning. You might want to put on a, your headphones because Tony in Borkham Hills is here. Uh, and uh, Tony's got a question for us. Tony, a very good morning to you. Good morning and uh, welcome, everybody. But uh, um, my question is, why is the Spanish Inquisition any different to any persecution that is happening currently, whether we look at uh, Syria, Turkey, the Kurds, whether we look at Armenia, Artsakh, uh, the Armenians, whether we look at Indonesia, West Papua and what's going on up there? Um, why is it any different apart from a religious focus? There's still economic downfall for everybody concerned with all of those others. Mm -hmm. But why? Uh, and and I, I granted it went for over. Yes, I think the fact that it went for more than three hundred years, years is, yeah, is a yeah, major. Yeah. Whereas these other things haven't. Although, thing. of course, yeah. Jews, of course, would say quite rightly that they've been with persecuted Palestine, for a lot yeah. more than. Uh, 300 years but uh, Tony thank you for that question because of course the things that you've been talking about Geordie so far is you know there are so many um, reflections with other things whether it be Nazi Germany whether it be uh, the, the Uyghurs perhaps in uh, China at the moment or any other persecution during you know the last couple of thousand years in what way was the Spanish Inquisition different or was it did it have a lot of similarities with many other persecutions? I mean, that's a very good point, right? So, I mean, and, and, and you know, thank you for the question, Tony. I think to some extent we can find similarities in all the repression episodes across history and also even in repression no nowadays. So one of the objectives of studies like this is to show can we learn something uh, because it's not just about the inhumanity of the institution or the inhumanity of the repression per se, but also we have to wonder, we have to think about the possible long-run effects of, the, of, of those persecutions that even happen nowadays, right? But coming to the question, what was different? I'm not here just to say how similar or dissimilar it was from Nazi Germany, for instance, right? I think that that's a very, very <laughs> delicate uh I uh, think that there are elements of the persecution of the Inquisition that uh, some people may say that, you know, it was kind of similar to what uh, Nazi Germany would do. Except with Nazi Germany, there was obviously, a, a, you know, a, a, an attempt to exterminate the Jews from not only Germany, but throughout Europe. With the Inquisition, was that the case or were they attempting to get Jews and other people, Muslims perhaps, to change religion to become Christian or Catholic? Yeah, so that's the thing, right? As Tony was saying, so the the main objective of its creation, of the creation of the Inquisition, was to persecute first, not just Jews per se, mm -hmm. or Muslims per se, but was to persecute those Jews that converted to Catholicism and then kept practicing Judaism in private. Mm -hmm. And the same with Muslims, right? Of course, you know, that they didn't have much of a choice, right? Because in 1492, uh, there was, uh, you know, there was an edict, a uh, political thing that uh, where the crown said, either you convert to Catholicism or you have to go, right? And therefore, that obliged to many Jews to convert to, to Catholicism officially, right? So, and then, of course, during the first, given that, and this official conversion to Catholicism, but, you know, many of them kept practicing Judaism yes. uh, just to not to leave everything behind. Uh, and then you can see how it, during the first 50 years of the Inquisition, most of the of trials are against those Jews that kept practicing Judaism in private. Right. And that changes afterwards, oh. right? So that's after those 50 years, then... Uh, 
the type of trials that we observe is different. So it, it moves at different times for against uh, conversos or, or, or moriscos. So those are the Muslims that converted to Catholicism or even to all Catholics, right? And then, you know, it's all this kind of persecution. They were persecuting Catholics as well. Yeah, yeah. For yeah. not being religious enough? Yeah, for all kinds of things. So you couldn't be, yeah, so it was... So uh, no one was safe, really. No one was safe. So if you we compute all the trials that we collected, most, I mean, more than 50% are against all Catholics, not against uh, Jews or, or Muslims. Wow, okay. And I mean, that's something that, you know, you wouldn't think of, but uh, but this is what's, hap- what's, what's happening. And that's why we we try to observe, uh, you know, these effects on, on trust, for instance, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the things that was maybe, I don't know how different or not from others, is that you have both things. You have a top-down institution that was organized and controlled by the crown, mm-hmm. uh, even though the Pope had some also minor role there. Uh, and then it was a whole well-organized institutions top-down. But also then you have the other element of, you know, down to to top institution in which you have the society kind of it's not that they agreed with the inquisition but they had to follow the inquisition to to some extent because otherwise if you fail to report something you would you would be also uh, you could be accused of of, of not right. doing so it started though with one particular king or queen and one pope perhaps mm-hmm. but it would have continued with centuries of them, was it just by that stage institutionalised in Spain rather than just an original idea that they want to purge the nation of people who weren't Christian or weren't Catholics, but then it became so institutionalised that it just maintained it's a certain momentum of its own and just couldn't be stopped? That's a, a yeah. That's a very good point. I had uh, great discussions with uh, some other economic historians uh, about that. Uh, how if we if we think that it's just a top-down institution, like created by the crown yes. and supported by so the crown. So was there a, cra- a king or a queen that actually came up with the idea of it? Yeah. So it was the Catholic cra- the kings, yes, as as we call them, uh, the Catholic crown. So it's uh, yeah. Isabella and Fernando. Ferdinand and Isabella who sent Christopher Columbus off. Yeah, to... so the same ones. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so they kind of uh, put pressure on Pope Sixtus IV okay. to approve that papal bull to create the Inquisition. And with, I mean, the whole excuse to some extent was to uh, to defend that the role of cru- of an crusaders uh, yes. that they've been doing in Spain for to expel the, the Muslim empire from, from Spain for different... Mm. For, 200 years or so and to continue that they needed the inquisition right but and then the origin as well was to you know the uniformity of religion in spain okay and uh, you have to think at that time that spain was the most diverse uh, religious society in europe uh, before the inquisition right and then after the inquisition then it was the least diverse uh, religion so it worked it worked it worked um, yeah. But again, uh, to back to your question on why why it persisted for three hundred years, even though if you think that it's just a top down institution, you have to think that if the society doesn't support it yes. to some extent, that won't last long. Uh, what do we mean by support, right? So uh, I mean, at some point, you may think that some regions or some people may agree with their values. Uh, of the Inquisition and that they should persecute those people that uh, are divergent from uh, or that are heretical to some extent mm-hmm. uh, from what the Catholic Church is saying or the Crown is is saying. But others would just say, I mean, it's for fear, right? So if I don't report, I get reported. So I'm just better... So this is more that. like Stalinist Russia, really, than, you know, Nazi Germany, perhaps. Yeah, some other people sometimes compare that to that. So, But I'm, I'm not... I'm not such an expert to to throw exactly well, denunciations, secret denunciations that if you don't um, believe in it, somebody will then tell on you and you'll be taken away and never seen again. 
We'll talk about that a little bit more in a moment. Um, Jordi Vidal-Robert is our guest talking about the Spanish Inquisition and Ray is with us as well on the phone and has a question as well. Good morning, Ray. Real effect on, you know, the South American countries and all that. Do you think that is one of the reasons why they're politically unstable and, and all those things and probably a lot of cruelty in all those countries too? Is, is, is that part of the story? Okay, good question. So Spain colonised a lot of nations in the Western Hemisphere. Some of them are very unstable to this day. Uh, what effect did it have? Was the Inquisition carried out offshore uh, beyond just Spain? Yes, so the Inquisition was also carried out in, in South America and in some in Sicily and, and Sardinia, uh, in Sicily. Uh, but we don't, we haven't explored that yet. So we don't know for sure if that is a source of, you know, economic backwardness in South America or so, because we haven't checked that that relation w- with them. Uh, but there is literature on 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 the effects of colonization on or specific institutions in Peru, for instance, and and the long run impacts of of that. It wasn't just the Spanish Inquisition. Portugal also had an Inquisition, I was surprised to learn. Uh, firstly, was it as long-running as the Spanish Inquisition, and, and did it follow the same pattern of denunciations and torture and show trials? Yeah, so Portugal also had their own their own Inquisition. Um, you have to remember also that for some period, Portugal was under Spanish yeah, dominion. Okay. And that's why, you know, we kind of had the Inquisition there as well. But I, I don't know the exact details of the Portuguese Inquisition, but I know that uh, some people have done some research on that and they found out that the main motives of the Inquisition trials there were more about economic uh, motives. Right. So they wanted to try people to get money uh, out really? of them. Uh, it was a shakedown. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Okay, so in Spain, the purpose, the original purpose of the Inquisition was to purge the nation of non-Catholics and non-Christians. Is that right? Uh, or I wouldn't say non-Catholics per se. The official main objective was to purge those that uh, officially were Catholics, but but in private, they were following other religions, okay. right? So they didn't want that. But of course, the whole point was to uh, get to a uniform uh, religion or uniformity in religion in, in Spain. Okay. So, so then, was there a, a police, a, a religious police, that we often see in Middle Eastern countries today, that if I say, well, Geordie, you're secretly practicing uh, practicing another religion... I'm going to denounce you to the religious police or to the Inquisition. I'd just make a an anonymous report, a secret report, and that's it. They'd come around and, and, and see you. Yeah, so, yeah, as I said before, so the Inquisition is a very well-organized institution. So on the top, you have the Great Inquisitor, and then you have different... Uh, they divided Spain in different regions, uh, and each of the regions had three inquisitors, and then they had a network of uh, officials of the Inquisition, uh, precisely for that role. But on top of that, then you have another network of uh, informal uh, informal uh, officials, if you want. They were called familiares. So there were regular uh, people from the society that they became part of this network and then they would inform the Inquisition of anything that they would observe. And then someone would come around to your house and take you away or to where you worked, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how it worked as well is that uh, so the inquisitors of each region, they would go to... To, uh, as they call visits to different towns and so on. Uh, before arriving to the town, they w- the church there they would put um, uh, a paper uh, informing that the inquisitor would arrive to that town, and that if they had something to report, they, that was the time to report. What was stopping someone from just reporting on someone that they didn't like? Because. If the, I mean, 
because they could be persecuted for that as okay. well. So but they how could do you be know if they're telling that. the truth or not? Because when you when there is a secret denunciation, you go to to the Inquisition, let's right. say, and you denounce, oh, my neighbor, which I don't like, so has done this or that. So there's gonna be a, uh, some sort of an investigation on that. So it's okay. not that just they would follow the word of that neighbor. So they, there was an investigation, and if there were enough evidence to follow with the trial, they would do that. Okay. So believe it or not, okay, so that's one of the things that some it's striking to some extent, is that Inquisition, the Inquisition is one of the first institutions that uh, in which the accused people uh, had some kind of lawyer to defend them. <laughs> We look at it now as being a terrible thing where, you know, people were killed and tortured. But at the time, I presume, of course, they thought they were doing the right thing, which is why they kept such detailed records. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, yeah. So they were, they had an objective and they were think, they were saying, you know, they thought that they, what they were doing was to kill heretics or persecute heretics at some point, right? So in... To some extent, this is similar to what happened in Europe with the medieval Inquisition, right? And uh, they were persecuting other heretics then, right? So that deviate from the official faith and and mm -hmm. so on. So to some extent, this is similar. It, you have to think also that back at that time, there were kind of all European countries have in, had institutions that were torturing and were killing people as well, but. You know, the main difference is that not they didn't last for 300 years. Yeah, and that's why we remember the Spanish Inquisition. And they didn't persecute so that, that many people, right? But was there a, a peak? Was there a time during that 300 years where there were more Inquisitions, more trials, more people perhaps put to death or tortured than at other time? Or was it fairly consistent, standard over 300 years? No, it's not that consistent. So we have a big peak at the beginning, uh, persecuting those crypto-Jews, so those mm -hmm. Jews that were practicing Judaism in private. Uh, then it goes down a bit, and then you have ups and downs every every now and then. Right. So and then Maybe when a new king took the throne, they yeah. wanted to assert their authority? I mean, that's f funny that you mention authority, because one of the other things that I've explored is... Uh, to what extent this was not just a religious persecution, but also kind of a social control or repression yeah, uh, from from the crown. And one way one way to look at it is that, given that Spain was fighting many wars at the time, uh, I think at some point was fighting like ninety percent of the time of the years that were fighting right. in they were involved in a war. Uh, so we, I can, I can check. You know, you would think in order to fight the war, they were recruiting people yes. from Spain to send them to fight the war, right? So they stopped with the Inquisition because they needed people to join the army or navy. No, just I mean, my my whole point was that maybe they, if they send people abroad, they may be worried that they don't have any anybody at home to defend the crown okay. or to defend the institutions if, right. if if there's nobody to defend them. And then they would use the Inquisition for that. And that's what, what happened okay. as well. Uh, we're going to uh, talk to Trevor now in uh, Benalla. Trevor, you got a question for us? And uh, Jordi Vidal-Robert is our guest from Sydney University. Uh, Trevor, good morning. Uh, good morning uh, there, um, Jordi and... Uh Sorry, uh, Rob, what is it? it? Is. Yes, it is. Yeah, okay. I want to know, sorry, did, did the Spanish Inquisition also persecute and get rid of the Knights Templar? And did the Knights Templar turn into the Freemasons? That's my question. All right, okay. The Knights Templar, of course, uh, would be familiar with their work yeah, yeah, yeah. in the Crusades. Thank you for the question. So the, the Knights Templars were a bit before the Inquisition, so, and they were persecuted by the medieval inquisition and that's i mean funnily enough this is more a european uh institution and only reach spain in the northern east uh of okay. spain not much in the rest of castile or or in the south yeah right so they had nothing to do with the knights temper nothing to do with the freemasons 
not for not with the Knights Templar for sure. Okay, um, all right. Was before. All right, Trevor. Thanks very much. What did you have to do to be branded a heretic? Uh, because that was what they were looking for. They were looking for heretics, and what happened? How did you prove that you, or how did they prove that you were? How did you prove that you were not? Well, that's a tricky question because. Uh, for for instance, sometimes we observe from the archives uh, people accused of being uh, practicing Judaism in private. So it just basically they found out uh, that they had a book about Judaism, right? Or they and had, that was proof enough. And that was proof enough. Uh, so it could be as simple as that, or that uh, maybe that during uh, or that during uh, you know a Saturday they wouldn't eat meat or some or, right, or okay. something so i mean just some... if you ate meat on a a, a saturday yeah yeah yeah. that so, would be proof yeah yeah so if 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 anything that they could relate to judaism uh you you could be accused of of, of being a crypto jew were there many jews in spain at the time yeah before so, the before the inquisition yeah. so yeah that's one of the major uh Religion. States where where yeah. Jews were were yeah. You mentioned the Pope a couple of times, and there were, Sixtus uh, was the one at the start. But there would have been many popes in that yeah. three hundred years. Were they all as enthusiastic, or did some people or some of the popes think that this was not the way that uh, religion should be enforced or taught? They some of them struggle with the Spanish crown and with how the Inquisition was working. Uh, also because they didn't have control uh, on on the Inquisition, right? So with the Papal Bull of Sixtus IV, he, he created the Inquisition as a religious institution based, I mean, um, because he created it as a Pope, so it's a Catholic uh, institution, mm -hmm. but then he gave the control to the Spanish crown. And, and that afterwards was kind of some popes try to uh, work work it around to get more control on that but that i mean once you give it so i guess that yeah. uh, you won't you won't take it back um, how did that change after the reformation was there an attempt to by some popes to enforce this or not how did the inquisition change after the reformation which I presume must have reached Spain in some way, certainly not the same way in Germany or Northern Europe or England, but did it have an effect? Um, well, the main effect is that they also started persecuting Lutherans. Okay. But, uh, but one of the key things that is that, I mean, although we we observe some, some Lutheranism in, in Spain, it's very minor. And it's very specific to some regions, especially those also more closer to to, to the north, closer right. to France than anything. But it's very minimum. Also, in a different research, also observe like publication of books uh, of the Reformation, for instance, related to the Reformation. So in Spain, there's barely anything published about the Reformation or in support of the Reformation, mm -hmm. even before the Inquisition or what. Well, even in early stages or so right. on. Let's talk to Bill. Good morning, Bill. Hang on. Good uh, morning. That's all yes. right. We've got uh, Geordie with us as well from Sydney University. What would you like to talk about, Bill? Well, the Congregation of the Doctrine of the Faith still exists in the Vatican. And um, Anthony Damello, a very famous Indian Jesuit, had his writings. There's a notification that came out. Oh, I would have been about 20 years ago, roughly, by Cardinal Ratzinger. Uh, because he said his writings caused great, um, what did he say, could cause grave harm. And he, he questioned, you know, because the, the, the basis of what DeMello is very critical of the church saying... Let's talk about the Inquisition, shall we, Bill? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, well what basically he said, you know, it still exists now, uh, Rod, that's what I was saying. He, because DeMello sort of said about Thomas Aquinas, for instance, the whole thing is... The, the highest way of knowing God is to know you can't know. Tamquanic notum. And this is why things went off the rails, because you had these sort of fundamentalist people um, took over in the church, you know, and it still sort of does exist to a, a thing today, you know, when somebody like DeMello's writings get 
you know, okay. a notification put out. Yeah. So all right, all right, no worries, Bill. Thanks very much. I'll get uh, Geordie to comment yeah. on that. I mean, obviously, the Spanish Inquisition does not exist today. But are there still fundamentalists that are trying to prosecute the ideals of the Inquisition? Well, I mean, that, that's a I mean, that's a point, Bill. But the, so the Spanish Inquisition was abolished in 1834 uh, for good. Um, but it is true that in Italy there was another Inquisition that uh, that was supported by the Pope, and officially that sort of Inquisition was not abolished until the 20th century. Uh, so when did that start? Huh? When did it begin? So it began in the 16th century as well. So that went on for three or four hundred years as well. Yeah, but but yeah. So the not level to the of same extent, not, yeah. not to the same extent, not to the same level of activity either. Okay, so when we think about the Inquisition, or we we hear about it, read about it. We often hear about the Grand Inquisitor Tokimata was the most famous. And the other inquisitors, as you say, there was a whole hierarchy of them. Did they go around and torture people? And to what extent did that happen? Or were people just tried and put in jail if they were found to be, uh, you know, Jews or Muslims? Or Yeah, so we have to differentiate between what they call major heresies, which is those trials against uh, uh, Judaism or Muslims uh, or Lutherans, uh, uh, and with respect to other type of trials against all Catholics. Uh, so they could... Torture was not rare. Uh, so that would happen um, regularly. Um, what kind of torture were you talking about? Well, are we... <laughs> Putting people on the rack, torturing them with a red-hot poker, or what happened? Uh, I'm I'm not sure about the de- details. Okay, perhaps on, we shouldn't on... go into the details. <laughs> I'm not sure about upsetting. the details, but uh, but yeah. So torture uh, that, that that happened. So, but that's... torture did happen to either make people confess or to change, make them change their religion. Yes, but the confession under torture could only be used in trial only for the major heresies, uh, which is not minor, but okay. uh, but. If you were accused of something like blasphemy or or other other stuff, if you would confess under torture, that could not be used in trial. Okay, interesting. So during the trial, as you say, that yes, even though this was the Spanish Inquisition, people were generally given a defence lawyer or somebody to advocate their case. How fair were the trials from what you read? I mean, we only re- read the the summaries and the basically the outcomes of the trial. We don't. I haven't read the whole the whole trial process. But what I can say is that, to some extent, most of the cases ended up with a not guilty outcome. Not guilty. Yeah. So we're talking about how many? You said there were seventy thousand cases. We estimate that. I mean, that's what we have from the archives, right? Uh, but based on those and based on you know of the possible missing records that we don't have because some of the archives were were uh were under fire to some extent sure. and so on uh were lost uh so we can estimate that there were possibly around 130,000 trials in okay. total right. um so yeah so from those what we can say is that uh, around 5% ended up with uh yeah, people being killed, right? Uh, which is not minor either. But uh, but it's a, a few thousand. Yeah, compared with one hundred and thirty thousand trials. Yeah, so that's those being what executed in yes, some ways. Yes, executed. Yeah, the others were put some, in jail, or some some of them were put in jail for uh, years. Uh, some others were sent to. Uh, to work in the in the ships uh, that were going, uh, yeah, to okay. to the Americas or so on. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Okay. And so they kind of, uh, you know, it goes from uh, execution to twenty years in jail to also having to pay some uh, some money uh, and then up to being absolved. Absolved. So. So, there's obviously a very very close connection between the crown in Spain and the church there. Um, what about in, in those other countries? Like you mentioned Italy. What about France? 
you mentioned Portugal, a country like France, which is still a Catholic country, uh, was that conducting an inquisition as well? They didn't to the same extent. So they did run the medieval inquisition, but uh, they did not create a similar inquisition as the Spain. As Spain. Um, I don't know why. Uh, they had opportunities to some extent, but they did. They didn't go that way. I suppose they had the revolution. That was something that happened. Yeah, but but if you think about the about the Spanish one, so it was created at the end of the fifteenth century. So mm-hmm. they there had opportunities to do that uh, sure, before, before the revolution. Years, yeah. um, but it but it's a good point. So one may wonder what's the role as well of of you know of of Spain or also of the different uh, political entities within Spain mm-hmm. that existed. So if you think about uh, how did how do you call it? the reconquest was done, right? So it was different kingdoms starting yes. from the north of Spain, just pushing down the Muslim empire, mm-hmm. and then at some point you end up with two big uh, crowns, so Castile and Aragon. Yes, but they were working independently, even with the with the marriage of the Catholic kings. So they were working independently, right? So, so when were the two crowns combined? Uh, so the marriage is in. 1468. Okay. I, I so that's just before, the, just before the, the Inquisition. The Inquisition yeah. And is that any coincidence? You think that the Inquisition began, you know, 30 years or so after the crowns were combined? No, it was, uh, yeah, it was shortly afterwards. And, and I think that maybe they didn't think of it at that time of the creation, but they realized that the Inquisition was the only institution that, that had the same political power in both kingdoms. Okay. So not even so Isabel didn't have the same power in Castile or in Aragon and the same for Fernando. Mm-hmm. Uh and they realized also the Inquisition has the same power in both crowns. So we can use that not just to uh uniform the religion of 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 Spain, sure. but also kind of try to uniform uh the state to, to some extent, Understood. right? Yeah. So you mentioned also that eventually, perhaps, it became more a way of enforcing power or terror or fear in the people, um, and it became less religious. Is that fair to say? And when did that start happening? I think that it when when it changes when the Inquisition changes the kind of the persecution type if you if you, if you yeah. allow me to say so as i said so it starts with persecuting those jews that uh, kept, kept practicing judaism in private but to some extent in the mid uh, 16th century towards the end of the 16th century then we start to observe how uh, trials against all catholics uh, are picking up and take uh, kind of most of the trials at, at to some at yeah. some point and then that's how when the repression or social control uh, motive uh, takes place and persists. So how did this affect not just, well, the internal workings of the Spanish state, that you had a country ruled with fear as a weapon, for one thing, um, and how did that affect the economy of Spain, that there were people working who were working or living in fear, and then how did the Inquisition also affect Spain's uh, international relations with other countries who may have disapproved of what was going on. Firstly, domestically, how did it affect the people of Spain, knowing that they lived in this reign of terror, literally? I think that's that's a good point. So that's one of the questions I why I started yes. doing this research, because I observe how uh, even nowadays you can observe these kind of attitudes that, uh, that are more common on, uh, all over the world as well, but... Uh, so, because I'm from 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 there, so I can I can relate to that. Yes. Uh, how people are, if 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 you not think like I do, then kind of you're against me, right? So it's kind of where this comes from, and and because these kind of uh, thoughts and, and behaviors that really affects uh, relations between people, but also it affects the relations between business, and that at the end yes. of the day affects the economics. And that's the whole point of why I wanted to study that. And if you think about the fear to some extent, uh, it's 
not just the fear from the institutions, but also the fear that your neighbor, or that your partner in business may, you know, may yes. go to the Inquisition. And that also affects how, if you want to trade with that person or not, if you want to have engage in a contract with that person or not. And that's a, a thing that uh, jeopardizes the economic pattern of, of Spain to some, to, to some extent. Okay, what about the uh, in, the... the not the domestic, but the foreign relations that Spain had with other countries. Did it affect that? I don't recall. No any... one seemed to think that they were doing the wrong. These days, you know, Russia invades Ukraine and uh, receives the criticism of the rest of the world. Spain conducts this sort of thing domestically and no one seemed to think they were doing the right I, thing. Yeah, I don't recall any of that. Okay. Why did it come to an end then? As you say, it was in the 1830s, 1824, I think. Sorry, 18, 1834. 1834, I'm sorry, yes. In 1834, was it officially ended? Did the king just say, right, that's it, there's to be no more Inquisition? It's a whole process. So, it's just, uh, so in 1808... It's the first abolition of the Inquisition in Spain, and that's because uh, Napoleon entered Spain and conquered and conquered right. Spain, right? Okay. So, and then when he uh, when he managed to take control of Spain, then one of the first things that uh, he does is to abolish all the institutions of the ancient regime in Spain. Okay. And then, so we have there's a period between 1808 until 1813 when the when the Spanish crown goes back to power in which there is no inquisition then it gets reinstated uh, and then until 1820 when we have a three year of without the king as well and then it, rain, it gets reinstated again and then in 1834 with the Isabel II uh, then it gets finally abolished uh, and what was the reaction by the people of Spain do they think well it's going to come back again or were they <laughs> relaxed and thought great finally we're free of this because for generations that have been going on. Yeah, so I think I'm not. I don't know. I'm not sure what they were thinking, but uh, but I think to what extent after Napoleon enters Spain and so on, that changes a bit everything. Also, what was happening in Europe, all the ideas that were happening in Europe, that yes. changed also everything and they realized that you know they could get rid of it at that point i have to say that the activity of the inquisition was very minor so towards the end of the 18th century was already very minor mm -hmm. so it kind of died so as we heard from monty python there were four main weapons from the spanish inquisition fear so is that fair to say yeah so i think that's one of the at the end of the day, one of the objectives is to spread this fear uh, you know, uh, that you would deviate from the official uh, faith or from the official values of uh, of the crown. Yeah. Right, what the, what the crown said were the values. Yeah. Surprise. Was it something where there was a lot of surprise? It sounds like, you know, they announced they were coming to town uh, everyone knew that they were coming to town, so the surprise didn't appear to be too much of a problem. Yeah, I don't think that's surprise. Yeah, so I, there was, a, you know, they were telling people where there would be an inquisitor in town and yeah. so on. The surprise element may be related to these secret denunciations that we were talking sure. about before. Okay, ruthless efficiency now. Given that there's maybe 130,000 cases over 300 years plus, I mean, that doesn't sound like a lot. Um, and also that, you know, 5% of the people were executed, which is a terrible number, but still, that doesn't sound like ruthless efficiency. Could you describe the Inquisition as being ruthlessly efficient? I mean, depends on in what sense you would define efficiency. If the efficiency was about spreading fear, then, yeah, they were quite efficient. Mm -hmm. uh, if it was about killing people, no, but that was not the main objective. Not the idea. Was, were they ruthlessly efficient in changing people's religion? I didn't... I don't think they changed because at some point they, <laughs> at some point either Jews were expelled yeah. or the Moriscos also were expelled in 1609. So I think there was a combination of elements there. 
All right, and then finally a almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Were they devoted to the Pope? It didn't sound like it. It sounds like they were actually devoted to the, the crown or to themselves. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, that fanatism or devotion to the Pope, it's not accurate uh, to, to some extent. So I think, yeah, so they were following the crown and you have to think of it as a, as I observe it, is more about the, a political career within the Inquisition. There is a, so even bishops, archbishops, uh, cardinals, that was kind of a political career. Of course, you yes. have to have the support of the Pope as well, but you more strongly, you have to have the support of the Spanish crown there that would kind of appoint you or direct where you would go and so on. And the Spanish crown did uh, relevate some of the inquisitors if they didn't uh, follow the, some kind of the values that they would. One uh, of our texters uh, says that there are some countries in the world that... Um, are experiencing a very militant form of uh, intolerance towards minorities comparable to the Spanish Inquisition. Do you think anything is actually comparable to the Spanish Inquisition? I think the details are important and that makes different institutions or events different uh, across times and across regions. But one of the things that are... But for me, it's important is that they're all very similar in the sense that they cause trauma in the society. And and that, I mean, in a way or the other, it doesn't matter. They cause a yeah. big trauma in the society, society and that can last for long. And that It's yeah. interesting because we hear in Indigenous in Australia of intergenerational trauma. This is a classic example of it, that something that ended nearly 300 years ago now is still causing problems today economically and socially in Spain. Far more, it seems, than the Franco's period. In, in Well, that's Spain. another thing that I would like to study, how the trauma caused by by Franco and its really specific relation of... Because during the dictatorship, also, we had persecution of, of people. Of so that's another thing. But Every dictatorship loves persecuting people. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so I think that most importantly, I think that any country, even this one, even Australia, should. One of the lessons I would like to take is that all societies have traumas, but we have to deal with them. We don't have to hide them. We have to uh, kind of take them, talk about them, and solve them and be honest about them. So, so in South Africa, there was the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. People are talking about that with Indigenous people in Australia as well in various states. It didn't happen in Spain after Franco, and it certainly didn't happen after the Inquisition. So Spain is the worst because of that. That's Yeah, that's my opinion as well. So I think that uh, there, after Franco, so there was not a truth reconciliation process, and we still haven't had this truth reconciliation process and that and you can see even nowadays the, mm. the consequences of that well the fact that they are still arguing about where he should be buried is uh, an interesting part of spanish life yep. jordi vidal robert lecturer in economics at the university of sydney thank you for taking us through the spanish inquisition this morning thank you for this lovely time And that was another podcast from ABC Radio Overnights. I'm Rod Quinn. Thanks for listening.